We're going to continue our series now by looking at Jehovah Jireh. And uh, in a few weeks' time, we'll look at this other name, which is Yahweh, which is uh, where this word Jehovah comes from. So it's really Yahweh Jireh would be in the, the original language, the Lord who provides. But we, uh, we understand it, or we, we most commonly known as Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And again, we're going to spend some time looking at Abraham and his life. A lot, of, a lot of God's character is revealed to us in, in how he deals with Abraham. And this morning, we're reading from Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 18. Let's listen to God's word together. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself. The lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Amen. Amen. This is um, probably uh, up in my top three favorite Bible passages. I absolutely love it. And we have seen a lot of God's character being revealed um, through the pages of the story of, of Abraham and how God speaks to Abraham and how he deals with Abraham and, and how he's even addressed by Abraham. And 
we have seen, and, and we should know now if we've been over here the last few weeks, that covenant and promise are, are part of the, the story of Abraham. They're central to Abraham and, and his life. And we thought about last week about how he had to wait um, for 25 years for the son that God had promised him in Genesis chapter 12. We saw that he went against God and tried to force God's hand and, and uh, Ishmael was born through Hagar. But that wasn't God's plan. That it was always God's plan that Sarah, Abraham's barren wife, would have a son. And they had to wait for 25 years. 25 years. And then in chapter 21, we read about the birth of Isaac. And then we have this opening verse in chapter 22. God tested Abraham. That's how the, verse, the, chapter, the whole chapter begins. That God tested Abraham. And what did he say? He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. We read in James that the testing of faith proves uh, endurance or causes in endurance and steadfastness. And actually in life we can be tested. There are things that come at us, um, storms that come at us, um, that, that um, God allows or, or, or sometimes that God brings to us so that our faith can be stretched and our faith can be deepened and our faith can be tested not to make us feel bad, but to cause endurance and to cause steadfastness. This is God coming to Abraham in these verses and saying, I want you to take your son, the son you've waited 25 years for, by the way, I want you to take him and offer him to me as a sacrifice. Isn't it quite something to think that God can test our faith? He doesn't tempt us. It's important that we make that distinction. But he does, as scripture says, we see, read it here, he tests. Why? Why would God test us? Deuteronomy tells us that the Lord tested his people so that he could know what was in their heart. In testing, the way that I kind of envisage it and you might find this helpful, you might not. It, it, it's kind of like a, a, an x-ray machine or the, the machine that, you know, the screen machine at the airport when things go through it and you see what's inside it. You see our, our heart is, is revealed. It's, it's laid bare before God. We see where our trust is. We see the things that we are holding on to. We see where the idols are. And, and actually, that's one of the things we see here in, with Abraham, now that I come to think of it, is that, that actually, I think sometimes in life, we actually begin to elevate the promise above the promise maker. We can hold and idolize the promises rather than the one who gives the promises. I remember one of the things I'm really passionate about is, is revival. It's one of the, the, the cries and the prayers of my heart. But I remember one day when, when I was praying about it, you know, I was challenged by actually, what is it I'm going after here? Is it the Lord and his presence, or is it this thing we call revival? Even some things in these build, our building here in our sanctuary, we can elevate to above God. 
But God tests us sometimes to see what is the priority in our life. Was Isaac Abraham's priority? Or was it God himself? I think that's one of the things that we're seeing in this chapter here. And we see, and what's revealed to us is the willingness of Abraham. The faith, the depth of faith that Abraham had. If we miss the opening verse here about God testing Abraham, we will struggle to compute the rest of the verses that we're going to go through this morning. This opening verse, for us as the readers on on this side of of, of it, it, it really cushions the rest of the chapter for us as we journey through it. But it shows that for us to grow in faith, we need to be tested. And what is this test? The test was to take his son, his only son. Why Isaac? God specifically mentions Isaac here by name. If, if I was Abraham, I would probably, right, Ishmael, where's he gone? Because by this point, Ishmael had been sent away here in previous chapters. I would probably have done a search party and sent off for Ishmael because actually within Isaac, all these promises that God had, Abraham, had given Abraham were held. The promises of blessing and fruitfulness and, and, and multiplication of, of, of nations and descendants and, and numer- as numerous as the stars and as numerous as the sand and, and kings. All of that was within who Isaac was. If it was me, I would have gone searching for Ishmael. This person that, you know, I, I, the mistake that I'd made with Hagar and now Ishmael had been here. Surely that would have been the easier road out for this. Okay, I'll give you one of my sons, God. I'll give you Ishmael. But God specifically mentions here by name Isaac. He was the key to all that God had promised Abraham. So in this test, it wasn't just about his son, but it was about the covenant that God had established with Abraham. And all the promises that he had given him were being offered back to God. And what was God asking him to do? To take him and offer him as a burnt offering. Leviticus tells us that this specific sacrifice, there's different sacrifices in the Old Testament. There's a sacrificial system. But the burnt offering was one that was made for atonement of sins. And the sacrifice had to be without defect. It, It had to be perfect. It couldn't be any blemishes. It had to be spotless. It had to be a perfect lamb that they would offer within the the Old Testament. And it's about the atonement of sins. That's what a burnt offering is for. It was to appease God's wrath. And so that God could once again shower his mercy upon them. Because the price had again been paid. And they would have to do this time and time and time again. Because actually the offering that they would do. It wasn't sufficient enough. It wouldn't cover all of their sins that they would commit. And it all pointed forward. To a cross on the hill called Calvary. And this burnt offering, it meant complete destruction. Now let me tell you how the process would, um, would likely, uh, likely have happened. And forgive me for the graphic details. It would begin um, with the, 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 the slitting of a throat. And then dismemberment. Dismemberment, and then the fire which would consume everything on the altar. There was nothing left of what was being offered here as a burnt offering. 
And this is what God was calling Abraham to do with Isaac, his son, in whom all his promises, all his future dreams, all his hopes rested within, within Isaac. Now we're beginning to see how this was a test. Sadly, human sacrifices were very common back in Abraham's days. They were practiced in Ur, which is where Abraham's home place came from. And they were practiced in Canaan, which Abraham spent many years living near and in. So Abraham would have experienced or would have seen these things happening. And maybe he would have thought, well, I thought the one true God would be different. And, and we can begin to understand and maybe have a bit of insight into just this, this confusion that Abraham surely felt. This doesn't compute with who I thought God was. But God's asking me to do it and he's been faithful every step of the way. And how do we see Abraham respond? Verse 3, he rises up early the next morning. Not a complaint, not a question. Off he goes. One of the things we're going to see in these passages, and I'm going to labor the, the context of this chapter because it helps us understand who Jehovah Jireh is. It will help us catch a glimpse into Jireh's provision into Jehovah Jireh's provision for us and we're going to see loads of gospel parallels in this chapter that will make us think of Jesus now a few weeks ago I, I told you when we see something in the Old Testament and it reminds us or points forward to the cross it's called typology we see people being a type of Christ. Moses, for example, being the deliverer of God's people that pointed forward to um, Christ being the ultimate and the, the best uh, deliverer. We saw that with Melchizedek being a high priest that actually he was a type of Christ. We see Jesus being the, the, the greatest high priest, the best high priest we can ever have. But even within these verses we read this morning, we see another type of Christ that actually makes us think forward to the cross. In these verses, we have loads of prophetic declarations and illustrations of what Jesus would one day do and it is just mind-blowing to see and the first one we see is the end of verse um, verse at the beginning of verse 2 your, your son your only son whom you love and this is a gospel parallel only son what does that make us think of Jesus for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into this world or this other the one and only son could be um, translated as beloved. Makes us think of Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son. This is my son whom I love. And Abraham's response is, he gets up early the next morning and he goes. He gets the, the, the wood ready, the fire ready. He gets two servants to come with him, two men. And off they go, him, Isaac, these two other people and everything they need. Off they go to go and where the Lord has led them. I always try and be as honest and as vulnerable with you as I possibly can. I find Abraham's level of trust and his depth of faith utterly challenging. It blows my mind that he just gets up early the next morning and off he goes. 
And they travel for three days. We read in verses 4 and 5. Off they've gone. Three days they've traveled. Every step further away from the family home. Every step they take closer to the place where God is asking Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. What do you even talk about in a journey like that for three days? Every step of the way, Abraham's heart getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And he must have been thinking, God, I don't know why you're asking me to do this. I don't understand what you're doing here. But we see that he just trusts him. He trusts him. Then in verse 5, we read this. uh, I find these verses just remarkable. Stay here with the donkey, he says to the other two young men. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. We're going to go worship and then we're coming back. (laughs) I don't know how he can call what God is asking him to do worship but that's exactly what he calls it because at the heart of worship is obedience if we want to be a people who worship god we need to obey god and his word we're going to go worship and we're coming back and what we see is that in worship there needs to be sacrifice sacrifice is part of worship We don't just do it when time permits or when it's convenient for us or things are going well. But Abraham says we're going to go worship. And then he says and we're going to come back. (laughs) We're going to come back. Abraham, have you misunderstood what God has asked you to do? He's just asked you to go and sacrifice your one and only son Isaac. What do you mean you're going to come back? That's what he says. And again, just shows the depth of his faith. God, I don't understand what you're asking me to do here. I don't get it. But I know that you're true to your promises and you've promised me Isaac and that all these things are going to happen through him, so something's going to happen. Abraham knew the God he worshipped was El Shaddai. He was all-powerful, almighty. Hebrews 11 tells us when it's the the passage about the the, the heroes of faith, it tells us that that Abraham even believed that God could raise men from the dead. That's how he could say, we're going to come back. (laughs) Because even if God was going to ask him to go all the way through with this, he knew that God had the power to raise people from the dead. Now this side of the cross, we think, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, there's resurrection power. This is before Jesus even came and walked this earth. But he trusted in El Shaddai's power. He knew that nothing was impossible with God. And then we have, again in verse 6, just this other, another gospel parallel, this unarguable prophetic image of Jesus. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. He places the wood on Isaac. Again, who does that remind you of? Jesus. 
And his ascent to the hill of Calvary, where he carries his own cross on his back. And here we have Isaac carrying the wood for his own burnt offering on his shoulders. He carries them up the mountain. Jewish literature says that Isaac, by carrying the wood, is like a condemned man carrying a cross. Isn't that just a picture of Jesus? And many, many years later, John would write in his gospel about Jesus bearing his own cross to the hill called Golgotha. And then we, we, and we also see that, that this isn't any baby. Quite often the images that we see of this um, Bible story being drawn is of Isaac being a wee child or a wee toddler. He's carrying wood up a mountain. We see a willingness within him. And then Isaac, in verse 7, he asks this question, which I'm sure must have pierced the heart of Abraham. The silent ascent is broken. My father, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I, I see everything here, Dad, apart from the thing we're going to sacrifice. I just love the utter trust Isaac places in his father. Again, do we not just see into the heart of Jesus here? He would say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I want this cup to pass, but, but let your will be the will that's done, Father. And you can just hear the tenderness in Abraham's voice. Verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went of them together. God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And here we see within our passage the first kind of reference or glimpse into Jehovah Jireh. And the Lord's provision. Now I don't know if Abraham is being faithful here or if he had some sort of prophetic understanding or if it was just um, a hope or a prayer. You know, uh, God's going to provide it, Isaac, don't worry. But we just see, again, just this faith that, that Abraham had. God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole of Scripture. Because in Hebrew, it literally reads, God sees before himself the lamb for the sacrifice. God sees before himself the lamb for the sacrifice. Isaiah tells us that he was beaten down and punished, but he didn't say a word. He was like a lamb being led to be killed. He was quiet as a sheep is quiet while its wool has been cut. He never opened his mouth. Just the willingness of Isaac. Which again just points forward like Isaiah does to the willingness of God's own son. And in this verse we have a picture of the father looking at his son in the heavenly realms. 
the one who was crucified before the foundations of the earth. The father seeing before himself the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Friends, when you know who God is, it changes how you face problems in this life. That is why we're spending time looking at the names of God, because it reveals to us his character. When you know who he is, it changes how you face the problems of this life. You know you're not alone because he's Elroy and he sees you. You know you're not helpless because he is El Shaddai and he is almighty. And you know, as the psalmist says in Psalm 23, that you shall not want because he is the one who provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. And we ourselves could never have provided anything. We couldn't provide the lamb for the sacrifice. We couldn't do it. Nothing that we could have offered would have appeased God's wrath. Nothing would have made us be able to stand in his presence. Nothing we could have done, achieved, said, thought, dreamt or imagined would ever allow us to get close to God because of our sinfulness. That's why he is Jehovah Jireh and he provided the lamb for the sacrifice. Like I said, this sacrifice that Isaac was meant to be was a burnt offering which was for atonement of sins. But Isaac could never do that. Only one son could. And that was God's own son, Jesus Christ. As John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And Isaac, who was this guy who was able to carry wood up a mountain on his back he doesn't resist but he lays down and Abraham binds him to the altar and Isaac was obviously the strongest of the two because if Abraham was stronger he would have carried the wood up the mountain but Isaac doesn't fight back he follows his father's will and just at the moment where Abraham is about to sacrifice his son. We see that the God of the Bible is different. We see that the God of the Bible is merciful. We see that the God of the Bible is Jehovah Jireh. Just as Abraham picks up the knife. God or Says the angel of the Lord. We spoke about that a few weeks ago, and we told us we talked about how the, that, that, that's God Himself. God cries from heaven, Abraham, don't do it. Don't lay a hand on your boy. Don't touch him. Why? Why could God say, Don't do it, Abraham? The offering still needed to be given. The sacrifice still needed to be made. But God could cry from heaven and say, Abraham, don't touch him. Don't lay a finger on him. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I will provide. I will do it for you. 
what blows my mind is God in this very moment could have stopped the whole of the story of redemption by allowing Abraham to carry through with this. But there was a day that would come where a better sacrifice would be made. There was a day that would come and there was another mountain top where blood would be spilt by an only son. Not on Mount Moriah, but on Calvary's hill. Friends, our God is the one who sees. He's the one who intervenes. And he's the one who provides. Praise be to God that he sees us. But he has the power to do something about it as well. What's crazy to think is that Jesus himself was a very descendant of that very son Isaac who was lying on that altar. Don't sacrifice your son, Abraham, God says. I'll give mine. I'll give my son so that you don't have to give yours. Let your son live, Abraham, and I'll send my son to die in his place. Just as Abraham said, God did see before himself the lamb for the sacrifice. And Abraham said that God will provide Jehovah Jireh. And this word in Hebrew, this word Jireh in Hebrew, it also means see to it. God will see to it, Abraham. We said last week or a few weeks ago about God's vision and his provision. And God saw Isaac there. But he did something about it. And he provided the lamb. And we see this ram that's caught in the thicket. But all of this is pointing to another hill and another son that would one day be given. As a once and for all sacrifice for God's people. Friends, because of sin... We are like Isaac bound in the place of death. And God saw us there. Because he's Elroy. And in seeing it. He sees to it that we can know life. He sees it and he provides for us. And that provision was his only son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have God provide a ram to take the place of Isaac. And this is just a a prophetic illustration of what Jesus would one day do on my behalf and on your behalf. You see, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your sin. And there was nothing you could do about it. But God provided life for you by sending his one and only son into this world. He would die on a cross. In my place condemned, he stood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Because God provided him and God sent him. We're all bound, not by rope, but by sin. Before we know Jesus. You see, friends, it should have been me on the top of Mount Moriah. It should have been you. At the cross of Calvary. 
this verse foreshadows the beautiful exchange that would take place at Calvary's Hill, where indeed God did provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. The lamb of heaven, the darling of heaven, crucified the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And he is still Jehovah Jireh. He is still the God who provides. And if God would provide his son for your salvation and your redemption, why do we worry about other areas of life? When he's given everything that heaven had, the best of heaven, why do we worry about other areas of life? Jesus would say, see the birds of the sky? They don't worry about tomorrow. God provides for them. So we have nothing to worry about in Sandy Hills. Because our God is the God who provides. Not everything that we want, but everything that we will need. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Our God is Elroy. He is El Shaddai. And he is Jehovah Jireh. He's the one who sees. He's the one who has the power to do something about it. And he is the one who provides for his people. Let us trust him. As the giver of every good and perfect gift. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, there's times in life where we stand before you and we just feel the weight of your presence. Father, we highlight the dirtiness of sin not to make us feel bad, but to point to the beauty of our Saviour. We point to the cost of our sin so that we can just catch a glimpse into the price that was paid on our behalf. God, thank you that you intervene. Thank you for your divine intervention and that you provided the lamb for the sacrifice. The sinless, spotless lamb of God who takes away repentant sinners' sin. Lord, thank you that in you there is life, but only because Jesus tasted death. We thank you that in you there is hope, but only because of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus, you take our place, that in my place condemned you stood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Oh Lord, remind us this morning again of the cost of Calvary. Remind us again, oh Father, what it was that you sent your one and only Son into this world to do. Remind us again, Lord, about the sweat drops that Jesus shed in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he submitted to the will of the Father and willingly went to the cross and laid down his life. Father, we can only know you 
because of what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary. Father, if we've never come to you, if we've never asked you for forgiveness for the sins we've committed, Lord, would this be the day that we come to you in repentance? Knowing that Jesus took our place. That Jesus, that you were the lamb that was given, the lamb who was slain. But thank you that you didn't stay dead and the grave couldn't hold you. But you rose triumphant. And in you is resurrection power. Lord, open our eyes, we pray. And Father, as we look to sing our last item of praise this morning, would you help us survey the wondrous cross with fresh eyes this morning, we pray. Oh Lord, would you break our hearts. Break our hearts this morning, we pray, for the glory of your name. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus.